We live in a broken world. You don't have to look far to see that these days, do you? We live in a broken world. And just in the last few months, we've seen that brokenness on display in many different ways. We've seen the fallenness of our world in disease. A part of those thorns and thistles that plague our world because of the fall. In the last few weeks, we've seen a lot of unrest and violence, rioting here at home in America. And you can turn on the news and watch the international news and see that there's all kinds of trouble going on around the world. I saw just yesterday on Facebook, a friend of mine posted that an Ethiopian village, mostly Christian, was just wiped out by Boko Haram, an extremist Muslim group. Christian, Christians in Ethiopia are under violent attack right now. We live in a broken world. Our world is filled with thorns and thistles, pain and frustration, inequities and injustices, tragedies and trials, violence and warfare. It is a world that is bending and breaking under the collective weight of human sin and depravity. One day, this world will be renewed. One day, this world will be restored, recreated. But until then, we live in a broken world, in a broken society. So what do we do? How do we respond? Do we just give up and say, oh, well, there's not a whole lot we can do. We live in a broken world. Do we adopt the mindset that's expressed in Psalm 73, verse 13? Surely in vain, I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. That's the psalmist in Psalm 73 wondering if it's worth serving the Lord when he looks around and sees all kinds of injustices and wicked people prospering and righteous people suffering. And he wonders in Psalm 73, verse 13 out loud, if it's worth it to serve the Lord and to do what's right. I want to focus our attention this morning on one verse in Micah chapter 6 and verse number 8. Micah chapter 6 and verse number 8. The prophet Micah says this to God's people. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The ESV has it this way. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father in heaven, we need your grace today. We need your grace in many ways. Our nation needs your grace right now. Our nation needs your calming mercy. Our nation needs the revival and renewal, regeneration that only the Holy Spirit of God can bring into the human heart. 
Father, we as your people need your grace to listen to your word today and then to not only listen, to not just be hearers, but then to be doers, to put into practice what we hear. We need your grace to do that. We need your grace to live out the qualities that this verse of Scripture is teaching us today. Father, daily remind us that we are dependent upon you for your grace and that your strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so, Father, may your strength be made manifest today as we reflect on your holy word. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Micah chapter 6 is in the context of what could be called a legal dispute. If you read Micah chapter 6, the whole chapter, it takes the form of like a courtroom setting in which the Lord is bringing a case against his people, Israel. Why would he bring a case against them? Well, they've been living in wickedness. They've been living in injustice. They've been living in defiance of the Lord's word and his laws. And so the Lord is calling them to account. He's calling them back to the covenant that he made with them. And in this case that he's building, he reminds them of all that he has done for them. In verses three and four of this passage, the Lord talks about how he redeemed them from Egypt how he brought them to Canaan and how he he made them his own precious possession. And then in verse 6, in verse 7, the Lord reminds the people of Israel what he is not pleased with. And what the Lord is not pleased with is just external ritualistic religion. Like the coming and praying and bringing of sacrifices as if just the external acts and rituals of religion can make up for or take the place of the qualities that God describes in verse number eight. And in verses six and seven, he's basically saying the Lord is not going to delight in your sacrifices. The Lord is not going to be pleased with thousands of rams and with 10,000 rivers of olive oil that you would bring to him if you are not also seeking to live out justice and mercy and to walk humbly before your God. That's what Micah is trying to to bring and really just emphasize to the people of Israel in verse number eight. God has shown you, O man, what is good. Let's just stop and think there for a second because we are not left to our own devices in deciding what is good and what is bad, are we? It's not just like we're in a vacuum with, and, and, and it's just up to us to decide what is good and what is bad. Now, there are some in the world who would think that's how we determine ethics, is we can t- determine it based on just how society comes to frame that ethic. And if it's a society-formed ethic, then that ethic can change over time, can't it? depending on who's in charge and who the majority is and who's the ruling power. But that's not what the good is that Micah is talking about here. God has shown you, O man, mortal, what is good. Well, where did God show us that? He showed us that in his word. And in the context of Micah, where Micah is a prophet of Israel, 
and he has been sent by God to the people of Israel, the specific words that Micah has in mind are the Torah, the Ten Commandments, the covenant that God made with Israel. That's what the prophets did. The prophets were literally covenant enforcers. They would come and they would say, here's what the covenant of God says in Exodus or in Leviticus or in Deuteronomy. And here's how you are breaking that covenant. Now repent and come back to the Lord or he will judge you. That is a recurring theme through all of the prophets. They were calling people back to the word of God that they already had and they already knew. God has shown us what is good. And so what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of us as his people? Three things in this verse. First of all, a child of God pursues justice because our God is just. A child of God pursues justice because our God is just. Now we've seen that word justice thrown around a lot in the last couple of weeks. If you've watched the news at all, you've seen signs of protesters holding up signs saying no justice, no peace. There are a lot of people clamoring for, desiring for justice right now. But here's a fundamental question. What is justice. How do we define that justice? What is the content of that justice? It is God, isn't it? It is God and his word. Justice is not what man defines it to be. Justice is what God defines it to be. And in any discussion of justice, we have to remember that, don't we? Justice is not what people decide. Justice is not what man decides. Justice is what God has said is just. Why? Because God is just, isn't he? The whole concept of justice, the idea of justice, the only reason we have it in our thinking at all, is because of God. God is just. He is by nature, by character, eternally and unshakably, immovably just. Always just, faithfully just, in every age just, meaning that in any decision, any judgment, any action, Everything that God does is just. Every single one. So justice ultimately is that which is righteous. That which most closely mirrors the righteous character and laws of God. So what does God's word say about justice? Well, we could read all kinds of verses today to show what biblical justice looks like. And if you think there's not a a need for the Old Testament anymore, 
this is an area, this is a question which we desperately need, the whole Bible. We need the Old Testament because a lot of the laws in the Old Testament show us what justice, what just righteousness among a society, among a people looks like. So we could ask, what is justice? We could start with the Ten Commandments, right? Justice looks like not killing one another. I'm going to do my best to not get political today. That's not my plan. That's not my purpose. I'm not here preaching a message for any party. I'm not preaching a message for any viewpoint of man. My job is as closely as possible is to explain and teach what the Bible says. But I am a man and I am imperfect and I will do my best to not step over that line and and say something that is not biblically justified. But let me make this comment. You can't be advocating for justice with a sign while the people next to you are doing violence and hurting people. The way to get to justice is not by doing injustice. And a fundamental quality of justice is don't kill innocent people. And in all these protests and all this violence, innocent people have died. That is not just. Should we seek for justice? Yes, this verse tells us to seek for justice, but we have to seek for justice justly. Right? There's a right way and a wrong way to seek for justice. The Bible tells us that what is just is to not rob, to not take from other people what doesn't belong to you. Well, we've seen a lot of breaking of that commandment recently too, haven't we? People using the rioting and the unrest as a cover for their own greed to go into stores and just take stuff and loot. There's this famous video on Facebook of a guy while all this rioting and protesting is going around. He's coming out of target with a load of Legos. Apparently he had kids that like Legos or he was going to sell them on eBay. I don't know. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. That's justice. God defines that as justice. Don't commit adultery. And by that, the scriptures mean not just the narrow act of physical infidelity of a spouse with someone else who is not their spouse. When the Bible talks about not committing adultery, it is more of an umbrella term for all kinds of sexual immorality and unfaithfulness in which we can include many other commands of the Bible that such as not lusting against someone who is not your spouse. We can slide pornography in there. Pornography is not just according to the word of God. It is detestable to God, and you are also uh, 
exploiting people who are not being treated justly by viewing that which is pornographic. Homosexuality is not just according to God's paradigm. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. If you went to court in Israel and you told a lie and someone was accused of being guilty because of your lie, then you were guilty of breaking the ninth commandment. And if you are found out of that perjury, then you face the same punishment that that person got for their crime. So in other words, if you are a witness in a murder trial and you lied in a murder trial and that person was, uh, was convicted of being guilty and was put to death and later was found out that you lied as a part of being a witness, then you were put to death. You got the same penalty that that person got for the crime that you were witnessing against. What is justice? According to the scriptures, it is to have equal scales. Scales that balance out rightly. Giving people what is true, what is right, what is honest. The Bible describes that justice involves showing kindness to the foreigner. Showing kindness to the stranger. Showing kindness to the orphan. Showing kindness to the widow. And God says, show kindness to the stranger and to the foreigner because you too were foreigners in Egypt. Justice is not making a prejudgment about someone and who they are based on external factors. Like their skin color. Prejudging someone about who they are or what that person is or what that person has done based on an external factor like their skin color is not justice. What is justice? Not how man defines it, but as God defines it. So what is our relationship to justice then? Our relationship is to live it out personally. It says to act, to do justice to live it out personally and also to seek for it to be lived out societally now israel was unique in that there was a set of laws of just and righteous laws given by god himself that defined the community of israel the nation of israel and they were to have within that community within that nation a just and righteous society as determined by god's word that he had given them we don't have that same thing in the United States of America. America is not a theocracy like Israel was. We are governed by people that we have elected, that represent us. And America is composed of many, many different people and peoples and ideas and philosophies. And so we don't have one set biblical theological standard by which we can say this is just. But we do have a standard that sets out to, to define what justice is for our society. And the foundation of that is in the Constitution. And we have laws 
built on that constitution that in many ways, and many of those laws mirror and reflect what Exodus and Deuteronomy say is right and just. And as much as we can, as Christians, we should seek to influence our society by either holding office or being or advocating for policies or by using whatever sphere of influence we have to seek to move all of our society toward that which is more just and more righteous. Live it out personally, also seek to live it out societally. So a child of God pursues justice. Why? Because God is just. But also a child of God loves mercy because our God is merciful. A child of God loves mercy because our God is merciful. What is mercy? Mercy, the word that is used here in Micah 6 verse 8, is a word that is used throughout the Old Testament to define God's special covenantal relationship with his people. It is a word uh, that in Hebrew is pronounced chesed. And it's translated different ways. That's why I read from both the NIV and the ESV at the beginning of the sermon, because one defines it as mercy or translates it as mercy. Another translates it as kindness. In other verses, you'll see the same word translated as love. In some verses, you'll see it translated as grace. In some, you'll see it translated as faithfulness or faithful love. What is it? It, It's really all of those ideas try to mix them all together in one word. And if I had to define it, essentially this word is God's faithful covenant love and mercy to the people that he has redeemed and entered into covenant with. It is God's faithful covenant love and mercy to the people that he has redeemed and entered into covenant with. We are the recipients of that mercy, aren't we? And so here, Micah is calling the people of God to then show that mercy, to literally to love it, to love it, to delight in it, to make mercy your treasure, and also to give it to give mercy to others, both within and without the people of God, within and without the body of Christ. In the Gospels, Luke chapter 6, it's Jesus said to his followers, be merciful. Why? Because your Father in heaven is merciful. And showing mercy to others can be expressed in many, many ways. One way is simply this. Treat other people kindly. Treat other people kindly. There is a lack of kindness in our society, isn't there? And it's everywhere. And I mean, you can walk up to a counter at, you know, a store or, you know, at a convenience store or whatever, and, and the person on the other side is just grouchy and mean, and, and you didn't even do anything. I, you know, I didn't insult you. I didn't, you know, look at you funny or anything. I just walked in, and, you know, you're all, all already, you know, in my face, grouchy. What did I do? 
we cannot control what other people do. We can't control other people's reactions to us. But for those of us in this room and whoever's watching, however, 50, 80, 100 of us, let's be kind people. Let's be kind. No matter what's happening to you that day, no matter how awful your day has been, no matter how ruffled your feathers are that day, let's be kind. The ultimate pattern that God has given us is what Christ told us in the, in the Gospels. He said, do to others as you would want them to do to you. So just ask yourself the question, how would you like to be treated? How would you like to be treated? If you were on the receiving end, how would you like people to treat you? That's how we should treat others. And that's not something that we can do on our own. This is not just a moralistic message of, hey, let's just do this. Let's, let's just pull ourselves up and with whatever willpower and strength we've got, let's just be moral people. That's not what this message is about. This is about living out the qualities of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. We can only do this by the gospel and through the gospel of grace. God saves us, calls us, regenerates us, renews us, indwells us with his spirit and gives us then grace to produce these kinds of fruits in our lives, like justice and mercy. And so let's treat others with kindness and generosity with mercy, because we did not deserve what God gave us, did we? What does the psalm say? Praise God that he did not treat us as our sins deserve. God did not hold our sins, our transgressions against us. We are blessed because of that. So because we have shown mercy, let's show mercy to other people. So a child of God seeks justice because our God is just. A child of God loves mercy because our God is merciful. And third, a child of God lives faithfully in humility before God because God gives grace to the humble and exalts them. A child of God lives in humility before God because God gives grace to the humble and exalts them. What is humility? I think humility, we can reflect on it in this way. It is to remember our proper place in God's created order. To remember our proper place in God's created order, to remember that we are creatures of God, that God is the creator and that he has made us for his glory and to live under his authority. To remember that we are in this position because God made us. God has placed us where we are. So to remember our proper place in God's created order. But also I think humility involves remembering our fallenness. Remembering our fallenness and that what we really deserve is justice, not mercy. And where would we be if we had received the justice of God? We would all be condemned, wouldn't we? So in humility, let's remember our fallenness. And our fallenness 
helps us remember that we are not better than anybody else. That ultimately we all deserve the wrath of God. And so let's remember our fallenness and that what really what we should have gotten is God's judgment, but instead we got his mercy. We got his mercy. So that helps us, it helps keep our heads small, doesn't it? If we remember our, our failures, our fallenness, our frailty as human beings, that can help keep our heads small and from being lifted up in pride. And so what is our relationship to this humility before God? It is to walk in it. To walk in it. Walk humbly with your God. And really in the Bible, the idea of walking in the, when it's used this way is really a metaphor for how we live our lives. So it's really saying live day by day, live humbly before God. And that brings into it the idea of faithfulness, doesn't it? Because how do you walk? When you walk, you take step by step by step by step. And by a bunch of successive steps, you get from point A to point B. And so it serves as a good metaphor for your life, because what do you do in your life? You live choice by choice, moment by moment, day by day, from birth till death. And what we are to do is in each of those choices, in each of those moments, in each of those days, we are to seek to live faithfully and humbly before our God. So that our lives, our mode of conduct would be characterized by this faithful humility. And also to remember that ultimately the the person that we are doing all of these things for is God, right? To walk humbly with whom? Your God. And to walk humbly before whom? Your God. Who are we doing justice for? Who are we doing mercy for? Who are we doing humility for? Ultimately, it is for God. And it's before his watchful eye that we live this out. Now, does justice and mercy and humility, does that affect our relationships with other people? Absolutely. It impacts our our relationships, our families, our communities. But ultimately, we're not doing it for them, for their approval, for their applause. Ultimately, we're doing it for God. And so we live before the eyes of God. And so we seek to live these qualities out in our own lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, and ultimately in our society. There are so many applications to Micah chapter 6, verse 8. I could give a hundred illustrations or examples from the last week in the news that would directly apply to what this verse is saying. So I can't possibly give you all of the applications, all of the, all of the ways that you can put this into practice in your life. I can give you a few examples as I tried to do from the scriptures earlier, but ultimately you have to read the scriptures. You have to have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You have to have this grace-driven humility to say, Lord, show me where I'm wrong. Show me where I'm being unjust. Show me where I'm being unmerciful. Show me where I'm being proud. 
And Lord, help me to live justly and with mercy and with humility. And so here's what Micah 6.8 is teaching us. Here's the main idea. A child of God seeks to live his or her life according to the godly traits of justice, mercy, and humility. Because our just and holy God has shown us mercy and has exalted us. If you're not a Christian, you're going to have a hard time living these things out. Because your fallenness, your indwelling sin, the nature of your heart is going to be pushing against you. Really, only by grace, through the regenerating work of God, through the gospel, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that is what gives us the empowerment to live these things out. And so remember that even in our, even in our diligence, seeking to be just and merciful and humble, really it's God and his grace working in us and through us. So that in the end, if we are at all successful in being just and merciful and humble, it is all for the glory of God because it was God doing it through us. And so may we seek to live as children of God, modeling reflecting the image of our heavenly father because he is just and merciful. Let's bow in prayer together. Our father, our God, we thank you for the undeserved mercy and grace that you have shown to us. We are thankful that in everything that you do, you are ultimately just and righteous. And that in your eternal infinite, all-wise plan for salvation in Christ at the cross, you were able to satisfy the demands of both your justice and your mercy because you judged sin in Christ, therefore establishing your justice and righteousness. And because Christ gave himself for us, then you showed mercy to us because our debt was paid. Our sins were covered. So, Father, thank you that in Christ you are both just and merciful. And so, Father, help us to be just. Help us to be merciful. Help us to remember who we are by your grace that we might walk humbly with you and before you. God, I pray for our society. We are in tumultuous, dangerous times. I pray for our leaders. But Father, my heart is for the people here in this flock, in this church, in this place. And that, Father, you would help us to be the kind of people that your word calls us to be. Father, may your grace do that in and through us. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.